love all the reindeer You know you're the mastermind Run, run, Rudolph Vixen can't be far behind Run, run, Rudolph Santa's gotta make it to town Welcome to this episode of Profess Hers, a podcast about movies, music, history, pop culture, current events, and literature, all discussed through the perspective of women's issues and feminism. I'm Allegra, and this year for Christmas, I want a weighted blanket. All I'm hearing is thunder shirt for a dog. That's <laughs> all I hear. It's this. I think it's a similar concept. I think it is too. Yeah. It's just funny to me. Yeah. Well, it's funny, but I mean, I don't know if it works. It's going to be a very expensive experiment, but that's, <laughs> I think they're like $200. Oh my God. Yeah. All right. And I'm Misty. And this year for Christmas, I want a vacation. Well, really what you wanted was for me to play this Jimmy Buffett song as and we opened the- And I got my wish. <laughs> Christmas but- miracle. So are you going on vacation? We've been talking about it because this will be our 10 year wedding anniversary. Are you going on a Jimmy Buffett cruise? Oh my gosh. I would love to do that. I would love to go on the Jimmy Buffett World Tour and just go to all the Margaritavilles. That just sounds so bizarre. So it's your 10th anniversary. Yes. Wow. Did you get married on Christmas? No, no, no. But um, it's the easiest time for us to take off. So obviously. Yeah. Teachers. Yeah. So today we're talking about Christmas. It's our first of two Christmas specials. And this is going to be classic Christmas. Classic Christmas. Is this, are you more excited about this one than the next one, which is more of a modern? Yeah, I think I'm excited about this one because you have a lot to say. I do, as always. (laughs) And I'm really hoping you can sell me on this book. I really hope you can convince me that the song you're going to talk about isn't... Oh, I got it. I'm ready. A sexual assault anthem. No, it's a feminist anthem, and I'll tell you why. Wow. We are very divided on this, (laughs) so it's going to be very fascinating. All right, so are you ready to talk about the best Christmas-ish book of all time? I am ready to hear about it. I don't really have much to contribute (laughs) to this conversation, but I'd love to hear about it. (laughs) All right, so the book we're talking about is Little Women by Louisa May Alcott, published, I believe, in 1868. Okay. Do you know very much about Louisa May Alcott? I know a little bit about her, um, and I know a little bit about the book, but not not as much as I probably should. So it's not a Christmas book by definition, but the first scene of the book is Christmas time, and they are talking about Christmas, and they talk about Christmas presents, and there's a whole thing about them not having money for presents for themselves and getting a present for them. So it's a Christmas time book. I mean, it's a Christmas book as much as Die Hard is a Christmas movie. I'll say that. Okay. But Louisa May Alcott is an amazing, was, I guess, an amazing woman. And you don't know anything about her. I don't know a whole lot about her now. Okay. So educate me. So her parents were transcendentalists. What does that mean, Allegra? Really? No, but people are not going to (laughs) know. So tell me what that means. Okay. So uh, it was not a religious movement, more of a philosophical movement uh, I would say it's a spiritual movement yeah so it's very much about being connected to nature and the natural world and all of us being connected to each other it was what Ralph Waldo Emerson and Henry David Thoreau yes. were always talking about and in fact Louisa May Alcott grew up with uh, Longfellow Thoreau Hawthorne Emerson they were all 
there together in the Massachusetts area in the 1800s. So okay, her dad was friends with all of them. And in fact, her dad tried to start like an experimental transcendentalism school, but it didn't really take off. And I think it lost them a lot of money. And for a while, her family lived in a commune. Those were actually really common in the 1800s. I didn't know that. Yeah, that was happening all over the United States. Why? Uh, there was a lot of influences leading to that uh, democratization, this religious fervor that swept why through the country. Why did I ask? Yeah, I know. I don't even know why. Okay. A lot of them turned into sex cults. <laughs> so <Okay>. there's that. <laughs> uh, so her family. Hopefully her families did not. I don't, not to my knowledge. Okay. So her family, well, they were forbidden to eat animal products. All they wore was linen. Oh, wow. Uh, and they were always starving and freezing, basically, because they were in New England. And they needed to eat meat and wear, you know, warm clothing. Fur. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so it was called Fruitlands. And it was like a utopian community co-founded by her dad. Um this is my favorite tidbit about Fruitlands. They, for a long time, didn't eat root vegetables. Like potatoes? And carrots. Because they um, grew in the direction of hell. Oh, so they're like Satan's vegetables. I guess. I don't know. Uh, if you're poor and starving, though, I feel like I would just eat a carrot. Um, so she worked, Louisa May Alcott worked, to help support her family. She was a teacher governess, which I think is like a nanny. It's kind of like those two things combined, like okay. a nanny ed that teaches you like basic stuff. Okay. Uh, she was a maid. She did a lot of domestic service, maid, house cleaning, se- seamstress work. Um, but so she basically w- everything that she was allowed to do right. being a female at the time. Absolutely. Except secretarial work. Well, that came later. Oh, so she wasn't, that wasn't even allowed then. No, okay. it wasn't really an option. So she always wanted to be a writer. Also uh, not really an option. And, you know, why wouldn't she? She was growing up with all of these very fam- famous thinkers and writers, but they, they couldn't really afford for her to just take time off to do writing like Henry David Thoreau did. So at some point, her mother got some inheritance and Ralph Waldo Emerson gave them some financial assistance. And so they were able to buy their family home in Concord, which, by the way, the novel Little Women is set in the same house. The house okay. had a name. And so it's described it is the house that she grew up in so it was a fairly nice house and then at that point they they stopped being kind of indigent um she did write like spy stories for children she also wrote pulp fiction books about like murder and opium dens okay yeah that's different yeah um that's where i thought we were going here she used a pen name for all of those stories a.m barnard oh see that's interesting because i bet if she had used a female name yeah then those would not have been published probably not but a.m yeah that could be either one so yeah and and when she was in her 30s that she began to get some acclaim and some degree of notoriety uh so at the time, there was a huge distinction literary in the literary world between real literature, like the things that that Emerson was writing, and pulp fiction, uh, spy stories, what we would ca- maybe call genre fiction. And so she was, Those she wasn't getting like trash novels. Yeah, she wasn't getting high art literary acclaim, but she was becoming well known for popular stories. And Lo- Little Women is loosely based on her life 
it's set in her family home. She had lots of sisters set in the same time period. So it's not autobiographical necessarily, but it definitely draws on her own experiences. So she was an abolitionist. If we want to talk about one of our early intersectional feminists, here she is. In 1847, she and her family served as station masters on the Underground Railroad. You know, that's interesting because the other really well-known female author from the same period is going to be Harriet Beecher Stowe. Yeah. Who wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin. Yeah. Also an abolitionist. Okay. So it's interesting. Also three names. Yes. That those those connections mm-hmm. are happening there. And she was a feminist. Okay, give me give me evidence. Okay. She she was a supporter of the Declaration of Sentiments from Seneca Falls. Okay. Big deal. She was the first woman to register to vote in Concord, Massachusetts. Wow. And she went door to door registering women to vote. Just like you, Misty. <laughs> so she was also super popular in her community. Yeah, just like you, Missy. Yeah. She wrote for women's publications, and she relished being a, quote, literary spinster. She never oh, got married. okay. So like an Emily Dickinson? Yeah. Yeah. She had no interest in those kinds of domestic... She didn't dream of having a husband and raising a family. Okay. She had mental health issues, including depression, anxiety problems, and she was very inspired by Charlotte Bronte. Okay. She wrote uh, Jane Eyre. Oh, okay. Why did I think that was somebody else? Who did you think it was? I don't know, but not her. Um, Who wrote Pride and Prejudice? They're English people, British people. Uh, Her sister Emily wrote Wuthering Heights. Oh, okay. Okay. So your question was who wrote Pride and Prejudice? Yeah, because I thought that was the same person that did Jane Eyre. Yeah. Pride and Prejudice was Jane Austen. Oh, maybe that's where I got because they, they both have Jane in them. Not my area of expertise. They're, they're all they're all British author, female authors in the 1800s. Uh, so Pride and Prejudice was Jane Austen. Okay. Jane Eyre was Charlotte Bronte. Got it. Wuthering Heights, Emily Bronte. Got it? Okay. Got it. We got but it. But we're not talking about any of those. We're not things. talking about any of those individuals. But I am telling you that Louisa May Alcott loved Charlotte Bronte. Awesome. And she shared an anecdote about how reading a biography of Charlotte Bronte helped lift her out of a depressive period of her life. Okay, so because she's she, really connected with the yeah, work. Yeah, she felt connected to Charlotte Bronte after reading this biography of her in the Atlantic. So she definitely was a woman who took inspiration from other women. She also was a union nurse during the Civil War. That's cool. At which point she got typhoid. Oh, oh no. I'm not 100% sure on what it is. And I'll be honest, I was afraid to Google it because I was afraid there would be pictures of something. Like, every time I Google a disease, I, I see pictures I don't want to see. So, Missy, what's typhoid? So, typhoid was a disease that spread very, very easily between people in the 1800s. Uh-huh. Um, if you're familiar with typhoid at all, you're probably familiar with typhoid Mary, who we say spread it all over the United States. It's just not true at all, but that's what we say. Um, well, we have to blame it on a woman, of course. Of course. But it has a fever that's associated with it, and it can kill you fairly quickly if you're already not in a real healthy state, which a lot of people in the 1800s weren't because they didn't have the nutrition that we have today. Okay. 
So she got typhoid when she was a union nurse during the Civil War. She wrote a collection of like little essays and vignettes about her experiences during the war uh, in a collection called Hospital Sketches, which again, I didn't want to read because there could be things. And then the treatment for typhoid was mercury. Yeah, that's actually a treatment for a lot of things. And so then that gave her lifelong mercury poisoning. Well, it could have caused her to go insane. So, uh, well, I mean, so they treated, this is the best part. They treated the mercury poisoning, which was painful with opium. That was kind of our cure-all for everything. And so she died very young, probably because of the mercury poisoning and all of the opium. <laughs> I'm just all of the opium. It, awesome. It, it can't be good for you. Typhoid plus mercury poisoning plus opium. Probably not good for you. Probably not. So, uh, she she actually died like two days after her dad did in oh, 1888. That's sad. Yeah, okay. yeah. So here's a quote from her: "I am more than half persuaded that I am a man's soul put by some freak of nature into a woman's body, because I have fallen in love with so many pretty girls and never once the least bit with any man." Oh wow! Yeah, that's a really interesting quote, isn't it? It is. Because they wouldn't have had the language. Right. They didn't have gay, lesbian, trans, or even bisexual. Right. And I mean, these, fe- I mean, I, I'm not going to speculate right. beyond the quote, but yeah, she, she wouldn't have had any terminology for it other than this, what her phrase is, freak of nature. Not, she's not calling herself a freak of nature, but the instance of being a man's soul put by some freak of nature into a woman's body. Like a mistake. Yeah, mistakenly. I mean, and that's, she felt like she was a man in a woman's body, basically. And that is probably related to her being happy to be a literary spinster. She just wanted, her pursuits were not really related to romantic or family life. I didn't know that about her. And so she never married and she didn't have children. So you have my interest. I have your interest. You do. So have you read Little Women? I feel like I did in like middle school or something. Yeah, you probably would have read it in middle school. I don't remember anything. There was a girl named Jo. Is that correct? There's a girl named Jo? There is a girl named Jo. Okay, that's all I remember. And a boy named Lori. Okay, I don't even remember that. I remember the girl named Jo. That's it. So I'm going to play you a clip from the movie version. You can't go to a party without any gloves. I was hoping we wouldn't be invited to another one. (laughs) I should have gone away with father in disguise. Signed up as a drummer boy and done my duty as he has. Joe, I don't think that's allowed or even possible. Besides, I can't think of anything more disagreeable. Why would you want to sleep in a tent and drink out of a tin mug and eat all sorts of bad tasting food? Because, Amy, she forgets that she's a young lady and that I'm trying to mend her dress. I can't help that I like boys' clothes and work and manners. Being born a girl is the most disappointing thing that ever happened to me. (laughs) yeah so that's uh from a a bbc version of the book but it's joe is based on her and joe is the character who said that she likes men's clothes and manners and work so 
she's been writing these pulp fiction spy stories, little tales. And in 1867, an editor asked her if she wanted to write a novel for girls. And she didn't want to do that because she more kind of identified, I guess, as what maybe some people might use the word tomboy, although I hate that word. But she didn't want to write a book about girls and girl things because she wasn't interested in traditionally girly pursuits. Well, and she felt that that was like outside of her experience in life. Yeah. And that's just not what she was interested in. But the next year, her father wanted to get his own manuscript published about his philosophy, about transcendentalism. And so he told this publisher, the publisher's name was Thomas Niles. He told the publisher that his daughter would write a book of fairy stories if the publisher would publish this philosophy book. Uh, And he said, no, I want a novel about girls. (laughs) Okay. And so the publisher said, if you can get your daughter to write a novel for girls, not about fairies, then I will publish your philosophy manuscript. Because this editor or publisher just thought it'd be easier to sell a novel about girls, do you think? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, he, he was trying to corner a, a specific market. Okay. And he thought, she's a fairly young woman. She is a good writer. We want this book. And if we can... So get, they're like commissioning her almost. Yeah. And if we can get this manuscript, this novel for, uh, for girls, basically, then sure, we'll publish her philosophical manuscript, which probably wouldn't make as much money. And so basically to make her father happy and to help his own writing career, she wrote a novel about her adolescence growing up with three sisters. And they wanted a novel for girls, so she called it Little Women. (laughs) (laughs) She gave them exactly what they asked for. It was published in September of 1868, the first part. It was published actually in two parts and it was a a huge success. And in the meantime, she was writing a lot of short stories, a lot of them about fairies. Because that's what she wanted to write about. She wanted to write about fairies. She also wrote a lot of Christmas short stories. Okay. And they're all for children. uh, I mean, for, you know, 10, 12 year old children. So a literary scholar named Judith Fetterly wrote in 1979 that the novel Little Women is about navigating adolescence to become a graceful little woman. But the story itself pushes back against that frame. The character who continually resists conforming to traditional expectations of demure femininity and domesticity, that's Joe, is the true heroine. And the character who unfailingly acquiesces, that's Beth, dies shortly after reaching adulthood. So basically, on its surface, it's a book about being a girl. Okay. And it's a book about being a traditional feminine girl and navigating adolescence to become a graceful little woman. But if you analyze the book the way that a lot of scholars analyze it, starting in the 70s, which, you know, is, of course, an important time in the feminist Right, exactly. Yeah. Second wave Uh, feminism. Yeah. You see the the person who becomes most successful in the book is Jo. And she's the one who's resisting femininity. And the person who dies right as she becomes an adult is Beth. And she's the one who is the most traditionally feminine and wants the most to conform or to fit into those traditional gender roles. So the book is, in a sense, rewarding not conforming to gender stereotypes. But I'm guessing that's not how people saw it at the time. No. And I mean, so you could argue that it was 
like an, an incognito resistance to gender stereotypes. Or you could argue that that's a, a reading we're superimposing onto it because we now have a feminist outlook. Right. Okay. I mean, that's the nature of literary criticism, honestly. And it's not really important whether or not she intended it. It's really important what meaning we derive from it. And that's, I think when people say it's a book, they, a lot of people read this book every year or they read this book many, many times. I think a lot of what attracts people to this book is Joe. I don't think people are reading it because they love reading about girls who want to grow up to be graceful little women. I think they are really reading it because Joe is actively resisting and, I mean, trying to be a person who fits in. So where does Joe end up at the end of the story? Well, she's married to a man. I mean, Joe is not like a active rebel i mean she still wears the dresses she still goes to the parties but she is i mean she literally at one point hides behind a curtain because she doesn't want to be social so where does she end up at the end of this novel married to a dude against her will or happily uh she gets married in her 20s and has two children and at the end (laughs) this is the best part at the end of the second part of little women okay the character joe is writing the first part of Little Women. Oh, so it's like a book within a book. <laughs> That's very meta. Yeah, I mean, it's so autobiographical, I guess, that it in, it catches up to the part, you know, of her life where she's writing Little Women. Of course, in real life, Louisa May Alcott didn't get married or have two children, but... She's like th- imagining the life other people think she should have. Yeah, and, and the engagement is very interesting because they, I think the quote is, decide to share life's burdens. Marriage. So it's... <laughs> So it's not necessarily a romantic, typical, yeah. a wooing and suitor kind of situation. It's more practical. And throughout the whole book, her dad sometimes calls her his son, Joe. Oh, wow. And they have this friend named Lori, who's a boy. And he calls Joe, my dear fellow. So she... I mean, Joe is meant to be not traditionally feminine. And so in the book, she loves, Joe loves literature. She reads, she writes, she creates these plays that her sister, this is probably what you, if you remember anything about Little Women, you probably remember that they're always putting on plays. Joe was always writing them. And for a long time, she rejected the ideas of love and romance entirely. I don't know why she felt the need to, augment reality in that way by having joe get married it could have been commercial pressure it could have just been in a fictional experiment in her mind i don't know or that's how stories ended yeah and the other thing is she really didn't want to get married because she liked her family unit of her parents and her sisters and she felt like getting married and moving away broke up that family unit joe felt similarly until of course she decided to quote share life's burdens (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Marriage. So as you know, many, many stage and screen versions exist of the book. I don't Uh, think I've ever watched any, but yes. One of them has Winona Ryder. Really? Yeah. Okay. Plays Joe. That's probably the most famous one. And that one's great. I mean, the good thing about these movies is it's an almost mostly female cast because it's a bunch of sisters and a mom and they have great female relationships. Is the dad not really in the story a lot? I think he's in the war. 
Okay, so he's gone. Yeah. Okay. And sometimes the movies and films are directed or the adaptations are written by women. And the other thing is, I feel like when the book is put on the stage or screen, it reflects the time that it's being produced in. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. So early offerings were kind of more wholesome and took that original kind of interpretation of the text that this is a novel about how to grow up and to be a graceful, ideal young woman. During the Great Depression, the theatrical performances were very popular because it was kind of a story of a simpler time. And they also were not wealthy because the story opens with them not knowing that they're too poor to get any Christmas presents. So you could like see yourself in this family. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So in 1949, believe it or not, it's the fourth film adaptation. Already, wow. In 1949. That's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Janet Leigh was in that, Janet Leigh from Psycho. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You just had to say Psycho. (laughs) Got it. Did you see Misty's face? Like, I don't know who that is. Janet Leigh from Psycho. Elizabeth Taylor, are you familiar with her? She was also in the movie. And consumerism was more important in 1949, right? Well, almost like a patriotic duty. Because you need to buy American goods. We're in the Cold War. We need to support our economy so we can beat the Russians. Okay, okay. So in the 1949 fourth film version, somehow they go on a shopping spree. <laughs> That's not in the original right. there's source a, material, there's, though. There's some kind of twist in the movie where like an, a rich aunt comes to visit them and they all go on like a big city shopping spree and spend a bunch of money and that reflects that culture in that time in 1994 uh jillian armstrong directs probably the most successful most popular version of the film the screenplay was also written by a woman and virtually all of the dialogue was rewritten so it's almost none of the original dialogue from the book. Because it was dated and it felt weird? or because So because they were reading it in a third wave interpretation. Okay. And so what Robin Swicord said is that this is how she imagined what Alcott might have written had she been, quote, freed of the cultural restraints of her time. So really the bio-cultural interpretation of the book is we know louisa may alcott was a feminist right and we know that she was interested in things like equality and non non-conforming gender stereotypes yes. so had she been able to write this book in the 90s this the is 1990s. the 1990s yeah, the 1990s this is what we imagine it would have been more like so they're kind of taking her spirit and what they think the subtext of the book is, which is to kind of buck against okay. gender roles. And so they rewrote all the dialogue. So it's more political in in some ways, and it's less domestic. Okay, what do you mean by less domestic? It's less about sewing and I do dresses. remember like a lot of sewing in this book. <laughs> yeah, it's less about sewing. There's a There are parts, Susan Sarandon plays the mom. Joe is played by Winona Ryder. They advocate for women's suffrage and they talk about how none of them is going to wear silk because it's produced using slavery and child labor. So there are some political, there's political mindedness amongst the women in the house. It's set in the same time period, but they are kind of more forward progressive thinking. Males are really marginalized. (laughs) It's just funny to say the sentence, males are marginalized. Uh, The house is a matriarchy. The mom runs the show. Because dad is still gone at war. Yeah. And so she's like a reformer 
she's a politically active person, the mom. And she's emphasizing the importance of education and moral character, not the importance of sewing and homemaking. So instead of just calling her Marmy, which I don't know is what they all called their mom. (laughs) I have no idea. That's what all of the girls call the mom. She actually gives the mom a name, which is Abigail. And why Abigail? Uh, That's the Louisa May Alcott's mother's name. Okay, so... Yeah. Trying to make it a little bit more autobiographical? Yeah, and so it focuses on on all of the girls as more than just daughters and sisters and wives. They get creative talents. They have plays. They have writing. Amy is an artist. And so they all have kind of individual pursuits. And so a lot of people think of the 1994 movie version in the same way that the screenwriter did as kind of the original spirit of the book, but freed from the conventions of the 1800s. So what they think Alcott would have written had she have had the chance to yes interesting so have i sold you you if you haven't sold me on the book you've sold me on alcott okay i mean i don't know if i'm gonna go home and read this book immediately because i have a real hard time reading fiction anyway and then reading fiction from so i'll be honest it is it is a book for uh adolescents okay so it's a book for people who are like 12 to tween age i guess and it's not like young adult books that we're, we're used to in our current times, right? The Hunger Games or <laughs> so Harry they're not Potter. not killing each other. Right. There's not a lot of adventure. So it's, it's not really a thrilling book. <laughs> if, okay. You unsold me on the book. Well, and, and what I'm saying is it's okay if you don't want to go home and read it. But I think you should go home and watch the 1994 film version starring Susan Sarandon and Winona Ryder. I think I can do that. And maybe that will give you a better appreciation. But at least I sold you on Louisa May you Alcott. You did. Because I mean, I think when I heard Louisa May Alcott, I was thinking, oh my God, we're going to talk about sewing circles or something. Were you thinking like Little House on the Prairie times? I think I was. <laughs> I just was not digging it. But you sold me on her. First woman to register to vote in Concord, Well, and she went to Seneca Falls. That's crazy. No, she didn't go to Seneca Falls. Oh. She read the writings from Seneca Falls. Oh, I misunderstood you. Okay. And was in support of them. Okay. So she was politically aware and supportive of what was happening at Seneca Falls. Okay, good. Yeah. So even though you may think Little Women's a Christmas story, I'm going to say that probably most of our listeners don't consider that part of their classic Christmas. I think a lot of people do, but fine. But I do think that music is definitely a part of most of us and our Christmas experience. Especially if you've been to Bed Bath & Beyond lately. Pumping out the Christmas jams. Pretty hardcore. (laughs) Yes. Okay. So I wanted to talk about three classic christmas songs classically terrible that may or may not be problematic given a modern feminist perspective i'm telling you right now they're all problematic i'm gonna defend one before you do that i do want to say we have some more let's say progressive christmas songs yes that we're gonna play in our next episode yes okay because the next episode is more modern. Well, Christmas. and these are classic. So they were all written classically in the 1940s terrible. and 50s. Hashtag classically terrible. 
Okay, so what's your first song that you're going to try to convince me that is not terrible? Oh, no, this one's terrible. I'm, I'm going all in. This, this one's pretty bad. This one's terrible. Okay. Yeah. So we're going to start with Santa Baby, written in 1953 and originally performed by Eartha Kitt. Santa Baby, just slip a sable under the tree for me. Been an awful good girl, Santa Baby. So hurry down the chimney tonight. What do you think so far? I mean, I like the way it sounds. <laughs> Santa Baby, a 54 convertible to light blue. I'll wait up for you, dear Santa Baby. So hurry down the chimney tonight. I mean, it sounds like she's just saying what she wants for Christmas. So, Santa Baby is a song that is definitely saying all the things she wants. But listen to this. Think of all the fellas that I haven't kissed. So, who gets presents from Santa, Allegra? If you check off my Christmas list Is this is like a transactional situation here? Yes. Because good girls get gifts from Santa. Bad girls don't. So we're talking about, I mean, we're, we're already using the word naughty as a double entendre here? A little bit. I mean, in terms of Santa's nice and naughty list. Well, yeah, it's Santa honey, Santa cutie, Santa baby. Yeah. I mean, she's definitely using her sexuality here and telling him to ignore the bad things she did. And just think of all the things she didn't do. Think of all the fellas I could have kissed. But she didn't. Oh, my God. So it's pretty materialistic yeah it's written in 1953 so a little risque for the time yeah and you know something people pointed out at the time is santa's a married man (laughs) so she's using these like i mean she yeah she's flirting with santa an older married man and she's a younger very attractive woman to get what she wants my christmas tree with some decorations bought at Tiffany. I really do so believe in you. She's going to ask for Let's see a convertible. She's going to ask for a yacht. Yeah. She asks for Santa a platinum mine. To a duplex. One little thing. A jewelry from Tiffany's. A ring. Yeah. And I mean, it's of course, just, a ring. Yeah. So I have some issues with this. I, d- I never noticed any of this about this song. Yeah, I, I'm not going to say that this is like a feminist anthem. I I mean, I never thought it was a feminist anthem. I I always thought of it as just being kind of a silly song. Yeah, I, I think it's a little bit more than that, though. Yeah, no, it's definitely worse than that. <laughs> I, mean, I think this is definitely putting an idea out there of your yeah, chastity makes you good. Yeah. Sexuality makes you bad. That your goodness is coming from... The, your restraint of your sexuality. Yeah, yeah. And that, you know, she's essentially begging Santa. Well, she's flirting with Santa. Yeah, for all yeah. of these things. So... 
I'm going to say that's a problematic Christmas song. And so maybe it's out. time to retire it. So that's out. Yeah, that's out. it's out. Okay. So next on your list, I believe. Is a song from 1952. Written by Tommy Connor and originally sung by Jimmy Boyd, who was only 13. I'm not playing that version because oh, I, not. I like this version better. <laughs> is this the Jackson 5? Yeah. Okay. So this is I Saw Mommy Kissing Ca- Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. So this one's wholesome, right? Well... What's wrong with it? <laughs> I have not heard this version in a long time. All right. So do you know why this song was originally written? No. It was commissioned by Saks Fifth Avenue. Oh. To promote their Christmas card for that year. Because they sold like one big Christmas card every year. And in that year, it was a picture of a woman kind of like in a 1950s housewife outfit yeah. kissing Santa. And so the song was promoting buying that Christmas card. Oh my gosh. So... Problem one. All right. Problem two. The song is incredibly popular, incredibly fast. It sells 2.5 million copies within like a week and a half. Okay. So doing really well. Yeah. And then the Boston Catholic Archdiocese listens to it. And they love it. I'm guessing. Oh, they lost their minds. Oh. Because they misinterpreted the lyrics. What do you think is happening in the story? Uh, Mommy's kissing Santa Claus. Who is Santa Claus? The dad. Yeah, they didn't think that. They thought mommy was having an affair with Santa. I'm sorry. Yeah. Did the... Did, did, I'm sorry. Did the Catholic Archdiocese think that Santa's <laughs> real? They thought that this story was talking about a possibly married woman engaging in an affair, either with Santa or with the man she had snuck in her house. Dressed no. as Santa. If there's a if there is a man dressed up in your house as Santa Claus in the middle of the night that your kids wake up and sneak down the stairs and see kissing your mom, it's your dad. That's my interpretation <laughs> as well. <laughs> but so did they ban it? Tell me they, they banned, banned it. it. Oh my god. So the record company had to call a meeting of the council of churches and they sent the little 13 year old boy into that what? meeting and the 13 year old boy had to explain what the meaning of this song was. So Boyd explains that in the song, Santa's supposed to be the kid's dad dressed in a Santa suit. Right. Because that's what it is. Right. And so the next year they lift the ban and then it was fine again. So we can agree So we can believe that this song is not problematic. No, I just, I think the story behind oh. it is so interesting because, the oh my God, a married woman yeah, how dare is you? having an affair either with Santa or some random man in a Santa suit. She snuck in her house. <laughs> it's just, she, they got so up in arms over a woman's sexuality Yeah, for kind of a cute little story. Yeah. To the point where they've got the archdiocese involved and they have to have a meeting with the little 13-year-old who sang it. And the 13-year-old boy has to explain to everyone what the song is about. Yes. Okay. Isn't that interesting? It's not as interesting as the next song we're going to talk about. Okay. So the next one was written in the 1940s and we are going to disagree. Uh, Obviously, we're going to disagree. 
so this song is called baby it's cold outside so before we play the song i want to tell you that it's an academy award winner i don't care for neptune's daughter the the song it's hard out here for a pimp is an academy award-winning song that doesn't mean that it is not problematic okay well it's also written (laughs) by frank loster and it's originally performed you weren't expecting me to have that i wasn't i wasn't uh by him and his wife they'd perform it at house parties and that was their signal for guests to get out, to leave. Because they-, they were about to commit assault? <laughs> it was just their cue to go. Okay. All right, so can they just say it's time to go home? Okay. I guess that would have been rude. <sighs> so they played a, a little song. Okay, so we're going to let people decide for themselves. No, we're going to go through the lyrics and we're going to talk about it. Okay, so I'm going to start it. This okay. Is, this is a Margaret Whiting, Johnny Mercer version. The and there are so many versions. And I'll give you this. Some of these versions are creepier than others. I think this one is the creepiest one, but let's try it out. I think the Dean Martin one's kind of creepy. Mm. So it's a duet between a man and a woman. Yeah. I really can't but stay. Baby, it's cold so she wants to leave. I've got but does to she go really? She says, I've got to go. This Hold on. All of her reasons for leaving, which you're about to hear. Just like My ice. mother will start to Are external and are the social constructs we've put on women at the time. You gotta remember, this is written in the 1940s. She doesn't say, I want to leave because I want to leave. It's, I want to leave because my mom's going to worry. My dad's going to be pacing. My brother's going to be mad. My sister's going to gossip. My maiden aunt has a vicious mind. The neighbors are going to talk. She doesn't say she wants to leave for herself. She wants to leave because she wants to be seen as a quote-unquote good girl. She just said, no, 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 sir. At least I'm going to say that I tried. Now, the other line that a lot of people really don't like is when they say, say, what's in this drink? Yeah. Okay, so the thing is... So, so, she, so she is trying to leave. Yeah, but not that hard. She's trying... She said, no, no, no. That is pretty clear to me. But anyway, so she just said the answer is no. Um, she's trying to leave. He's saying, have another drink. She's saying, okay, half a drink more. And then she says, what's in this drink? Yeah, okay. And in today's world, that sounds bad. Granted. Well, yeah. But in the 1940s, that was a common joke. Hey, what's in this drink? When there's nothing in it. Oh, I'm going to do something I want to do, but I'm going to blame alcohol. So, as we get to the end here. Really? He's begging now and fake crying. If you okay, but listen to this last part. Get over that old So the song ends on a harmony. They're both singing It's Cold Outside. Yeah, That's because he's manipulated her into staying. Or because she really wants to stay, and that's going to be the excuse she gives her family. She said, no, no, no. 
Yeah, but she also said, oh, at least I'm going to say I tried. Half a cigarette more. A little bit more to drink. So she's not actually trying. It sounds like that sounds to me uh-huh. like she is trying to either spare his feelings or compromise to get him to stop arguing. To me, it sounds like she is fighting against the social conventions of her time that she wants to say for herself, but all these external people in her life want her to leave. And so she's trying to find excuses to get to stay without compromising how they view her. But it was written by a dude. It was. But you like this song. But I like this song. <laughs> and I don't see it as problematic as so many other people see it. So let me ask you this. Why is this a Christmas song? I think just because it says cold a whole bunch of times. <laughs> because we just listened to it. I'm listening to the lyrics. I'm looking at the lyrics. It's not about Christmas really at all. It's not, but I guess you don't want to play winter songs, right? Like, that's not a category of songs. <laughs> I guess Walking in a Winter Wonderland is also just a winter song. Okay, so this song, when it first premieres, is, like I said, in that movie Neptune's Daughter, and it's actually twice in Neptune's Daughter. And the first time is the way that you're used to saying it, man and a woman, right? Yeah. And then the second time in it, they flip it, and the gender roles are reversed. Okay. And why is that song not a popular? Song? There's a version that Miss Piggy is trying to converse a man to stay. Well, that's Miss Piggy. Do you want to talk about Miss Piggy? Because no. we can talk about Miss Piggy. <laughs> because on the one hand, I love her. But on the other hand, I don't like the way certain stereotypes are depicted there. Yes. So don't bring up Miss Piggy <laughs> at a time like this when I'm already mad about the song. So I just think... That you cannot divorce the song from the context of the 1940s. Because there cannot be a song written at the time that says, I want to stay over at my boyfriend's house. That's just not a song that's going to get written. But a song that could get written and performed is, I want to stay, but all these people don't want me to. So I'm looking for excuses okay. to stay. So even if even if I accept that premise. Okay. Let's say that I accept it wholeheartedly. Okay, you don't, but let's say you do. Why are there new versions of this song? Why are people recording the song with the same gender roles and the same lyrics in the year 2018? I got nothing on that. Because (laughs) there is absolutely no social expectation in general American society that a woman can't stay at a man's house for an extra hour or even overnight necessarily. So why are we still singing this song? I have no idea on that. I can't defend that. But I can defend the original 1940s song. And I just want people to stop calling it the Christmas rape song because I don't see it as the Christmas rape song. Well, I think that if in 2017 you sing no, 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 what's in this drink... Yeah, okay, true. Then it is definitely a Christmas sexual assault song, 100%. Well, it's a winter sexual assault song because it doesn't true. mention Christmas. It is a wintertime <laughs> sexual assault song. Even if So even if I'm accepting your promise that the phrase, what's in this drink meant something different. And, Which it did. And, and that we're trying to get away from social convention and find an excuse that is socially acceptable, fine. But there are versions of this song that probably came out this week. Probably. And I think that is problematic because they're recording it without that historical context to it. Right. I think there have been some plays on this over the years that have tried to get around it. So I, mean, I think there have been times where it's been turned on its head. But you're right. Recording it into 2018 and not changing the words is definitely problematic. 
Yeah, I mean, let me find... I'm, I'm trying to find the most recent version I can. There's a version with, with Adina Menzel who played uh, Elsa in Frozen. Was also in Rent. With Michael Buble. I already hate it. I really can't stay. Baby, it's cold outside. I gotta go away. Baby, it's cold outside. This evening is I don't think this song fits her voice very nicely. I'll hold your hands that just like It's the same words. Yeah. No, and that's what I'm saying. If you don't change the words, it can be problematic. I just don't think the original intention of the song is the intention that we apply to it now. Yeah. She just said, hey, what's in this drink? Well, yeah, because, I mean, they don't change the lyrics. But they should. But they, they should. Yes, they I agree could. with that. No, they definitely could. Or say it with a little bit of sarcasm in your voice so people know that it's a throwaway line. What is this? This is Zoe de Chanel. I really can't stay. Maybe it's cold outside. Oh, this is a flipped I'm version. Maybe it's cold outside. Evening has been that you drop in. so very nice. I'll hold your hands and just like My mother I will start to worry. Father will be basing the floor. Listen to the fireplace. So really I'd better scream. Maybe just to have a drink more. Put some records on while I neighbors might think. Maybe it's bad out there. Say what's in this drink? No caps to be had out there. I wish I knew how Your eyes are like starlight to now break a spell. I'll take your hat, your hand I ought to say no So what do you think about the gender roles reversed? At least I'm gonna say that I tried What's the sense in hurting my pride? I really can't stay Baby, don't hold out I bet it's cold outside So I don't know. I feel like he still said no, 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 and she said cozy up to me. I don't, I don't know. I, but I, I feel like flipping the generals just shows how ridiculous it is that he can't stay because his dad and his mom and his neighbors are going to say something. Yeah. I mean, when he says my mom's going to worry, it's kind of stupid. <laughs> Honestly. Also, I don't know why they're playing it so fast. So it also is going to end in a harmony. Yeah, because they both end up agreeing at the end. But yeah, you're right. It's cold outside, so I'm going to stay. That's my excuse for staying. Nobody can argue with me if I had to stay over here because it's a blizzard. I don't like it. You don't have to like it. It's a choice to like it. (laughs) Misty just said, I don't care. (laughs) No, but I think this is important because it shows that feminists can have divergent views on things and you're allowed to like things. You are. No, absolutely. And people like that song. My mom loves that song. She's mad at me for ruining that song for her. I'll go home and unruin it for her. And... I think that the historical context is important. I see where you're coming from, and I will accept any classic 
version. Pre 1950s versions of that song. All post 1950s versions, I still think, are problematic. I Even d- with the flip gender roles. Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing. He said no, and he he thinks something's in his drink, and that's not a joke now. No, now it's not. I'll give you that. And so I think it's still problematic to sing that. Now, I mean, do I like the that version better? Yeah, sure, but I don't know that that it is better. Um. But, I mean, just just like with Little Women, I think we have a different understanding of what's happening now than we did when it was originally created. And in our case, in, in the case of Little Women, it got better, right? Right. And, and in, I guess, in the case of this song, I'll accept it. So the interpretation that you have of that song uh-huh. is a very, very common interpretation right now. Um, it's Are you calling me basic? <laughs> No, I think actually that you're in the majority opinion. Okay. I think that um, most people would probably see this problem. I'm not in the majority opinion. I'm in the majority opinion for people my age and younger. I'm not in the majority. The majority of people in this country okay, I, of do people not. People who have sat around and considered this yeah, song. Sure, but most people don't. No, they just sing it Analyze because it's got it, a nice right? harmony. That's why, that's why English teachers are all killjoys because <laughs> we're an- doing a textual analysis instead of just enjoying the wintertime song. <laughs> I'm glad it's not just historians that ruin things no, for people. we ruin movies, books, and TV, and songs, also TV shows. Yeah, we ruin them all. We're <laughs> like, what's the theme? What's the social commentary? Can I do a biographical reading? Can I textual analysis? Yeah, we ruin it all. It's fine. I mean, I we could talk about anything, and well, I can ruin it easily. No problem. So, what I was going to say is... Sorry. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> If you get on YouTube, there are plenty of like, parody versions of this Yeah, where the idea that the man is aggressive is overplayed and is trying to really make that apparent. Yeah. So I think maybe for people our age and younger, that's the interpretation that they've kind of grown up with with this song. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to point out that's not the original intention of the song or the lyrics. No, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you did. I, you've, I'll say you halfway changed my mind. Okay. Or at least gave you another another thought avenue to go down. <laughs> so, I mean, just don't, don't call it the Christmas rape song. I, I Well, I'll call it the wintertime. <laughs> we se- have made sexual assault anthem. <laughs> Progress. Hey, Misty, what's next in your lady life? Uh, well, at this point, I need to do some serious Christmas shopping because <laughs> I am running out of time. <laughs> so that's what's next to my lady life. Where do you like to go Christmas shopping? Uh, I like to go all kinds of shopping at Target. Okay. It has yeah. everything. And my daughter really likes all the toys that they have there, so it's easy. Okay. And Allegra, what's next in your lady life? Um, so my uh, family always does a cookie party where everyone makes a bunch of cookies uh, and then they all bring them to my mom's house and then we all take home a dozen of each person's cookies. Oh, that's a lot of cookies. Well, yeah. And so then you like give them to your like neighbors and stuff. Oh, okay. You don't save all like... No. So like I'll make, you know, five dozen sugar cookies and someone else will make five dozen snickerdoodles and someone else will make five dozen... I don't know what But you don't come home and eat five dozen cookies. No. (laughs) No. Uh, but no, then you have a variety, and then I can give you a plate of cookies, and it has 
five, six different kinds of cookies, but I didn't have to make six kinds of cookies. So last year was the first year that Violet was really old enough to understand like Santa and Christmas and all that. Yeah. And so we left cookies out and we woke up in the morning and the cookies were gone. She got real mad because she thought Santa stole her cookies. So I didn't do a good job preparing her for that. They're for Santa. Yeah, she didn't understand that. So we're going to have to work on that this so year. So maybe, yeah, maybe something to I work on. I apparently forgot to explain part of the story. <laughs> There's something about this time of year. It's always so dark out. And you're never Thank you for listening to this episode of Profess Hers, our podcast about seeing movies, culture, and history through our lady eyes. I'm Misty, and baby, it's cold outside. Oh, my God. And I'm Allegra. I'm going to go home and watch five Hallmark Christmas movies. We'd love to hear from you what you thought about today's episode, what you'd like us to discuss in future episodes, or how great you think we are. Gotta be pretty great. To connect with us, you can follow us on Twitter at ProfessHers, that's at P-R-O-F-E-S-S-H-E-R-S, or by email at ProfessHers at gmail.com. Thanks to everyone who's been listening, commenting, liking, and reviewing our podcast. The best way to keep up with us is to subscribe. We hope that you recommend this podcast to a friend. Our podcast is written by Misty and me. And remember, all I want for Christmas is to smash the patriarchy. <laughs>